Today on Growing Through Grace. Philip the Evangelist, what a great title. What is your description? Besides your name, what's your description? In a city against him, Roman and powerful, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. Here's that guy that comes preaching every time we see him. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. Now, whatever happened to Philip the Evangelist? We'll bump into him today in our study of Acts chapter 21, verse 1 through 17, as we pick up where we left off yesterday. Paul and Philip will meet in Caesarea, and Pastor Jack will teach us through the encounter and the warnings that come Paul's way not to go to Jerusalem. So let's join our teacher for the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Jack. Philip disappears for 20 years. He goes up the coast. He ends up in Caesarea. He doesn't return to the revival in Samaria. We really don't know what he did. He's, he's, we have a couple of verses of him stopping along the way in, at the end of chapter 8. But he just kind of settles in this Roman capital out of sight. So here, here's something that you want to kind of keep an eye out here in the first 17 verses, and that is there's a lot of guys we run into here, three or four of them, that have been with the Lord for 20 years or more and are still doing really well, and Philip is one of them. Early on, man, champion in the early church, disappears and now resurfaces again with a family and a ministry in the midst of Caesarea, the Roman political capital, if you will, where it would have been not, I'll I, I just say it, it would be a debauchery kind of a place. It, would be, it wouldn't be a, a holy place at all. And, she ha, and he has to raise four daughters, can you imagine? For 20 years, Philip is, is still walking by faith. There's a knock on the door, and there's Paul. And he's there with a bunch of guys with him. Paul had been there at, at Stephen's death on the wrong side of the fence, right? He was still the persecutor. Paul had been the main cause for the diaspora. The, the, he, he began to, to go after people wholesale, and they began to run. And now that guy is standing on Philip's door, and it's been 20 years. Imagine that meeting. Oh, hi. No, we don't need the paper. Anything else? I, I think it must have been an interesting picture. Philip was a Hellenist, right, a Jew from a Greek culture. He was, I'm sure, far more tolerant than you might have gotten in Jerusalem from the legalists. And I think that because of all that he had heard from Paul's ministry over 20 years, he was probably thrilled that he was there. But, but their background was, was, was at best, you know, strained, if you will. He'd gone to the Gentiles. He'd spent time with the Samaritans. He's been living here in a big capital. And, and I think that it must have gone well. We read here in verse 10, they stayed there for quite a while, many days. The implication is that, you know, he, he was no, in no hurry to leave here. I love the picture, though, of this man 20 years later. He's called Philip the Evangelist, notice. Philip the Evangelist, verse 8. What a great title. What is your, what is your description of you? Besides your name, what's your description? He's an evangelist. 20 years later, in a, in a very stacked city against him, Roman and powerful, 
He's known as Philip the Evangelist. Here's that guy that comes preaching every time we see him. That's his rap. That's his, 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 his that's how people, it's a godly kind of a portrait of a man who was proven over the, over the course of time. Faithful in the early church, God used him mightily, a devoted family man, godly man, not a flash in the pan, not a guy who comes and, and kind of goes. He, he sticks with the program. He is willing to open his house up to, I don't know how many guys were with Paul. Let's say there were 20 guys with Paul. 20 guys show up at your house. I'd like to hang out for a week. No, you won't. There's no way in the world you're staying here for a week. But yet, here's a man of great hospitality. Romans chapter, what is it, 12? It says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So here's a man that, that was willing to entertain angels unaware, as Hebrews says. And he's an old guy. He's been around a long time. Right? This is nothing new to Philip, but he's just plugging away in the trenches and serving the Lord. I, I always think about Abraham meeting the three men coming, you know, as they were passing his tent and headed for Sodom. And he gives them food and drink. And we, we discover as we read, one of them was Jesus in, you know, in his pre-incarnate condition. So Jesus said to the disciples, inasmuch as you do this for the least of my brethren, you do it for me. I think there's a pretty good argument to be made from the scriptures that when you're willing to be hospitable and open your heart and your life to others, that God can speak to you in a way that he couldn't otherwise. So I don't know how many people Philip took in, but he took in a lot of them. And Paul was not exactly a guy that wasn't on everyone's troubled list. Not that he'd be trouble, but I think wherever he came, kind of trouble followed. So he showed him great hospitality. And you don't have to have a house to be hospitable. You just have to be hospitable. You know, Paul, Peter wrote in First Peter, I think, chapter 4, verse 8, be hospitable without grumbling. Be kind, you know, be accommodating, if you will. Here's how you can be hospitable about church. Before you run out to your car tonight and get in and, and, and leave, look around to see if someone's just sitting by themselves or someone that looks like they're having a hard time and, and spend a few minutes talking to them. Be hospitable. Right? Be available. Yeah, I know it's easy to get, yeah, let's get, let's go. Let's, a lot of times while I go, let's pray, I look and I watch like a dozen people. <laughs> while we're praying. Really? I want to do this. Hey, I'm not done yet over here. <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> but I think it. So it may be sin either way. I'm not sure. So look for someone. Pray with someone. Reach out to someone. Be available. Be hospitable. Philip. 30 years, 20 years later, certainly was. He was willing. From a spiritual standpoint, Caesarea was the Roman provincial capital. It would have been a particularly lewd and wicked place, a, a horrible climate to have daughters, let alone four of them, let alone four virgin daughters who are gifted in the spiritual gifts of the Spirit. This was a good guy. He was an influential leader who God was able to use. To, to raise kids today in that kind of similar pressure is difficult. To teach, to teach kids. If you can teach them about sex before marriage, you won't have to worry about abortion or contraception or safe sex because you won't have any of those. But it's a tough sell in this kind of culture. And yet, Philip was able to get through to his daughters. It's always an issue of the, the choices that you made. I remember hearing the, my, one of the funnier stories, I thought about it today, that, that I heard was, was a the, the story of the University of Maryland's women's basketball team, I think four years ago, maybe five years ago, played the University of Mi Michigan. They lost to them 175 to 42. It was as lopsided as it could be. When the game was over, they, they, 
they called the coach out for an interview, and the coach with a serious face said, well, it all came down to one call. And people laughed, and they said, what call was that? He said, the one I made last year to them to schedule this game. <laughs> and I thought, perfect. But that's oftentimes what it comes down to, one call, right? Make the right call. Just say no, right? Do the right thing. Well, somehow he was able to get through to his kids. This is a guy that's, that he's, he's got a lot of mileage on him in, in a godly sense. If you get this Revelation, I think, chapter 14, you'll read about the 144,000 men whom God calls virgins before the Lord, representatives in a wicked society that God could use. And so these girls were, were walking with the Lord, given the gift of, of, of the Spirit to prophesy, which according to 1 Corinthians means to build up and, or to encourage, if you will, Philip is known as the evangelist. His daughters are known as, as encouragers and stirrers of the faith. Great parents, certainly. They stayed a long time. Then we read in the middle of verse 10, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he came to us, he took Paul's belt, browned his own hands and feet, and says, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem Bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, again, we're talking about longevity. Years earlier, when Antioch began to turn to Jesus and Barnabas had come to Jerusalem with Paul, there was a fellow there um, who had come to Antioch, and his name was Agabus, same guy, 20 years earlier. And he had brought some heavy-duty words from the Lord. In chapter 11, you can read about them. But the, 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 the basis of the prophecy was there's a famine coming and soon Jerusalem is going to be suffering as a result and the saints are not going to have something to eat. And Paul took it seriously. So did Barnabas. They got together with the Antioch church, gathered resources and brought it to Jerusalem to head off the suffering that would come as a result of this famine, which did come. So here's Agabus. He's, he's 20 years in the Lord. He's also a faithful prophet whose word has been proven a guy you can depend on. And he now shows up here, just from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, and he comes to speak to Paul, and he's more demonstrative, and he's got some weight with him in terms of credibility. He, he acts out the, the problem, he ties up his hand, he, he's very dramatic, if you will, in his presentation. But here's another guy that, just like Philip, 20 years later, God is still using him in a, in a powerful way. And he said this to Paul, the Jews are going to bind you, they're going to deliver you to the Romans. And, and, and Paul went, yeah, I got I to go. In fact, we read in verse 12, when we heard these things, we being Luke, the one who's writing, the, the, the crew that was with him, I guess Philip and all, both we and those from this place began to plead with him not to go to Jerusalem. They, they, they began, you see, everyone respected Agabus as a genuine prophet. They began to implore Paul to reconsider. Why did they do that? Because they loved Paul. They, they, they loved his heart. He wasn't, this wasn't easy for anybody. This was as hard as it could be for everyone involved. And, and in verse 13, Paul says, why would you, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, I'm ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, uh, when he could not be persuaded, he ceased, and they said, the will of the Lord be done. Now, Paul's heart was made up. I, I asked a few weeks ago, do you think he made the right choice? And, and there's certainly a couple of ways to get to the answer. I'm not sure 
uh, where your position is. But all of the warnings had come from godly men and godly women, even from a godly prophet who had a history for being right. My personal persuasion is Paul's right. He did the right thing. And the reason is, I think that we have to be responsible to the Lord for what we believe God is leading us to do and not blame anyone else or, or factor anyone else in when it comes. We can look for, for verification. But, but direction has to come from God direct, I think, to our, our lives. Paul saw all of these things, like I said, as a warning to him that there were hard times ahead. I think Jesus' words to Paul in chapter 23, and we'll get there after a while, where he said to Paul, you've been a good witness for me in Jerusalem. I'm going to use you to be a good witness in Rome, would suggest that he did the right thing. The Lord didn't say, I shouldn't have come here, you knucklehead. How many people do I have to send to you before you listen? No, he said, you've been a good witness for me here. And God seems to have used Paul. And notice what Paul said. The only time that I find in the Bible Paul fearful and ready to cash it all in was in chapter 18 in Corinth when he'd been alone for a long time. The city was just sucking him dry and overwhelming him. And I think he was ready to cash it in. And the Lord showed up then too. And he met Paul in his, in his fearlessness or in his fear. But Paul is fearless. I mean, look at, look at, think about being in his shoes. You know, Billy Graham calls your house and says, don't go. Yeah, it's just Billy Graham. It's just Agabus. He's like known for generations now. He's a guy who's been around forever. He's got that long beard, you know. He's a prophet. And yet you feel that the cost, even if it costs your life, is worth the risk because you love the people in Jerusalem. You want to share your heart with the Jews and you feel like you owe that to them. Now here's, here's the, the rub. Gifted people have differences of opinion as to what the Lord is saying to the heart. It's just the way it goes. I believe God says this to me, and you go, oh, I don't think that's the Lord. And I say, well, I think it is. Now, where do we do? Where do we go from there? We, we, we both agree that we love the Lord. And here's my position. If I believe something is wrong for you, and you believe it's right, it's not about sin. It's just about, it's about discerning what God wants. I, I'm, I'm comfortable saying, well, as the Lord leads. Here's how I feel. You got my information. Now, go do what God tells you to do. And just leave it with you, because that's where it should be left with you. So I can live with that. What we need is more godly people committed to the work at any cost. That, that's what we lack. Not the arguments. We lack people with this kind of chutzpah. There's a Jewish word for you. It's Yiddish, but it's close enough. So I think when you walk in love like Paul did, the differences are slight, even though they are determined. Well, notice in verse 13, uh, 14, that when they couldn't persuade Paul, and, and God knows they tried, they just said, well, the Lord's will then be done. And so after those days, we packed up and we went up to Jerusalem. If you were with Paul at this time, would you be willing to say, I'm not going? I was going until now. Here, you take the money from our church. We'll be praying for you. I'm getting on a boat and leaving because there's trouble ahead, man. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want to stir it up. No, they picked up their bags. They headed for Jerusalem. They don't bring it up again. They don't even bring it up later when they could have said to Paul, I told you so. They didn't do it. Were they f blindly following Paul? I don't think so. These are, these are godly people who have left you know, works and family and lives behind to risk their neck to, to travel across the world. Dangerous situations just because they wanted to serve the Lord. These guys were not, were, were not rookies 
or, 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 or where they, they weren't off track, if you will. God had been dealing with them, and they were going to trust that the Lord would work it out. Look, Paul was in charge here. They were there because of Paul. If Paul didn't see it, then they would trust the Lord to work it out. And so what do they say? The will of the Lord be done. If it's your will, Paul, we're going to find out. If it's his will, then we're going to discover. But we're going to trust God from this point forward. Look, this wasn't a dispute, and I, maybe I can say this again. This is not a dispute about, about rebellion. Paul is not you know, starting a crack house. That would be easy. Paul is just determined that God is leading him to go, and there's other godly people with him that God has used mightily, saying that he shouldn't go. That's all it is, right? It's about leadership of God's spirit. And the, the, the dilemma was not violation of the scriptures. It was about how do I hear from God, and what is my decision when I'm following someone who's going somewhere I don't believe we should go? Do I quit, or do I trust the Lord? I bring that up because, you know, whether you are married, and maybe a wife whose husband says, let's go this way, and you're going, that's wrong. But you're asked to submit to your husband. He's not leading you in sin. He just has a different understanding of what's going on. You're, you're almost obligated to trust the Lord. Well, the Lord's will be done. Maybe you're in a ministry, and, and someone is in charge of that ministry, and their decisions aren't something that you like or you're always happy with, or maybe you're in conflict with. It's easy to just quit. I quit. Give me my ball. You know, I'm going home. Or you can just say the Lord's will be done. You can make yourself known. You can share your heart. The people try to persuade Paul. But once you know, everything's been said and done, then you just move along, and you just let the Lord handle it. It's a real mature, I think, step to take. They packed their bags, and they said, here we go. And so they got off 65 more miles along the road to Jerusalem. Verse 15, or verse 16, and also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with us a certain man named Nason with an M of Cyprus. He was an early disciple, and we were going to lodge with him. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Our, our, our next guy, and, and notice the last leg, 65 miles, they bring with them an old-timer named Nason. I did a study on a Sunday morning about Nason. This is the entire verse about his life. I can't go over all that today, but let's, let's just go over this. He had a house in Jerusalem everyone could stay at. He was, he was favorable to what was being shared. He was willing to join Paul, though a lot of people were tenuous about where they were headed. He put himself all in, and he was an early disciple. He was an OD, an early, no, an ED. Anyway, he's an old, oh my gosh. I should have quit at eight times. I was planning on it, and I didn't make it. Anyway, he's the third guy who's, who's got a longevity, and he's still at it, right? Philip's at it. Agabus is at it. Nason's at it. Paul's at it, Luke's at it, Timothy's at it. I mean, these are old timers that are as excited to serve the Lord as ever. Some of you have been saved 20 years, and, and you, what you've done for the last five years what you're doing right now. You sit there listening to me. Have been involved in anything, you're not doing anything. That's not these guys. These guys were, were up to their ears and doing, driven by love and excitement, led of the Spirit, accomplishing much. So should we. And it shouldn't be the longer you've been saved, the less you should do. The longer you should save, the more you should do. You know more. And so did these guys. And I love how the Lord points out, just in these 17 verses, three folks that have been at least 20 years around, faithfully serving day in and day out. 
So potential problems, Mason said, let's stay at my house. Now, verse 17, don't be deceived by, or deceived, I should say, by, by the apparent fortune of them loving his arrival. That will change next week. You will never read of the church in Jerusalem expressing thanks for the gifts, gratitude for the love of, of them at all. They will quickly demand more from Paul in his desire to help. Paul will compromise, if you will, but we'll leave that for next week. For now, they received him gladly. So these men that we saw pressing on and remaining diligent, and, and not just diligent, but, but on fire. You know, John will write at 90 years old, 1 John chapter 2, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us, but they went out so that it could be made known that they were none of us. Well, these guys have proven themselves to be one of them. I read a recent article I thought was interesting. It was called Burnout in Ministry. And it said that pastors in America average less than three years before quitting their jobs due to stress. The point was usually people and their judgments of their actions. Three years. Next line in the, in the article said, involvement by those in the body for any length of time lasted about three years. Many people sit in churches while the work is done by 10% of the congregation. It's just the way it is. I would like to say this to you. The, the church is not a service organization. It is a living organism. It is life, right? It is every part supplying that which the church needs. Why burn out? It seems to me the long-termers in the Bible never quit on their minds and hearts for the Lord. They don't burn out because they're driven by a love for Jesus. The, out, the, out thing, or, or the outer things can stumble. People, situations, difficulty, beatings would get me to quit. Throw me in, in the drink three times, that would get me to quit. Stripes without doing anything wrong. You know, those would be things, that, maybe I quit now. Scars on your head, stone left to dead, not really a good stuff, you know? But none of them could quit because their eyes were upon Jesus. So they don't quit. You can only, the only thing you should do is burn out for him. You know, those two guys, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's boys, they're in Leviticus chapter 9 and 10. They showed up when God was doing a great thing and drew attention to themselves, and they soon burned out. In fact, they burned up. Um, but if you have any other motive than love for Jesus, you're going to burn out. Oh, never thanks me for working. Oh, I showed up early and stayed late. No one acknowledges my work. Oh, they said something mean. I don't like this. I'm not coming back. Oh, wah, wah, wah. It's all about you. Or it's not. It's all about Jesus, and you're lucky to be here, Right? And praise the Lord that he's using us. So um, if you're driven by the love of Jesus, you won't need to burn out. Unfortunately, the Ephesian church, by the time you get to Revelation chapter 2, burned out. Oh, they were busy still, but no love for Jesus anymore. And the Lord called them and goes, I see you're busy. You're not doing it for me anymore. So get back to what you started with. And that's where we should be. I, I, I turned 65 this year. This year? Oh, my. I'm more excited about the Lord than I've ever been. Seriously. And I hope you are as well. Now, we certainly appreciate Pastor Jack sharing his love and commitment to God's Word and to his people for all these years. Take some time today, drop us a line, and let him know your appreciation. We've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. 
This has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3080. When you get a hold of us, be sure to mention the call letters of the radio station that you're listening to. And as we're studying the beginning of the church, how about going all the way back to the beginning of creation? It's always good to see the foundations of our faith in the very first book of the Bible. And here in the month of February, we'd like to offer to you Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Genesis in the MP3 format on either a single CD or a USB flash drive. Pastor Jack takes us to the account of creation, the flood, and the beginning of God's covenant relationship with man through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you'd like to get Pastor Jack's studies through Genesis in the MP3 format, either on a single CD or a USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all of our others available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. And that will bring things to a close for us today. We do appreciate you tuning in. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is the listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morning Star Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach. <laughs>